Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So today, I believe this is part 12, maybe, of uh, our series as we've been going through the summer. Now we've just started the fall as we reach our way through the Apostles' Creed, making our way uh, towards Advent, which is coming up sooner than you think, actually. I'm going to blink. You're going to go home, go to sleep, lay down, you wake up, and be like, is it Advent already? But last week we spoke about what it means when we confess in the Creed that we believe in one Catholic church, uh, which... We, we talked about how the, the, the word Catholic doesn't quite mean universal, even though it can, but it could, should probably be translated more as according to the whole. And we talked about what makes us whole. We talked about what makes us part of the whole. Um, the apostolic teaching, following what the apostles said, the breaking of bread coming before the Lord's table, fellowship, and uh, the prayers coming before the Lord in worship and how that formed them. And that's um, how I, I think it's a good way of looking at what that word Catholic means. And it, we also talked about how it's the word that Christians defined themselves by. They called themselves the Catholic Church so as to show that there's some differences between the faith of the apostles, which they confessed, and the faith of these other groups that were popping up around the time, uh, causing trouble um, and introducing bad teaching. The way we talked about what it means when we confess the communion of the saints in the creed about how we are united as one church across time. We talked about the cloud of witnesses in the book of Hebrews. And then we talked about how the communion of the saints means that also that we are not alone, that Christ does not leave us alone in our life and in our death, that he is with us when we are alive and he is with us and we are with him when we die and we join that cloud of witnesses as we await what we're going to talk about next week, the resurrection of the dead and eternal life. So today we're going to talk about forgiveness of sins. And this theme has popped up a lot in the readings that we've had this morning, particularly in, in, uh, in, in the book of James and in the reading from the gospel according to St. Mark. So we're coming close to the end now. After forgiveness of sins, we have uh, the resurrection of the dead, life everlasting, amen. So we're almost done. Some of you are like, yeah. We're... <sighs> I quit. I quit. So now, so the, the theologian named Michael Bird, he notes that these are placed last in the creed because it reminds us of the hope we have put our faith in, that God has accepted us, that God will rescue us from death, and that God promises to be with us forever. So let's delve into forgiveness of sins. So before we get into this, we should probably set some definitions first by what we mean when we say the word sin. So when we talk about sin, some would say sin is breaking the law of God, or doing something you know is wrong, or doing something to violate your conscience, or breaking the commandments. But we should probably make the distinction before we begin between sin as something that all of humanity has been captured and enslaved by and sin as our personal moral failings when we knowingly and sometimes unknowingly violate the law of God written in our hearts and laid out in the commandments. So first, let's look at sin as our moral failings or our violation of the commandments of God before we get into sin as something that has affected all of humanity. And there's a beautiful... Psalm, Psalm 32, 
It says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah, which is actually kind of untranslatable when you see that in the psalm. Some people say it means pause and think. Maybe we actually don't know (laughs) really what Selah means. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So here in this psalm attributed to David, we see him rejoicing in a person whose sins are not counted against them by God. And I suspect, brothers and sisters, that he may be referring to himself, that God has not held his sins against him. Because when we read Scripture and we read the life of David, even though it says he was a man after God's own heart, and even though he did a lot of really cool things like kill a giant and and, uh, and, and take the throne uh, and mighty man of valor, he also did a lot of bad stuff too. He did a lot of bad stuff, too. Like, we normally focus on Bathsheba, but if you look in the trajectory of David's life, we see in little stories, particularly in the one where he's fleeing from Saul and he he takes shelter with the priests, we see seeds, right, of what's going to bloom into what happens with Bathsheba. But I suspect he might be referring to himself in the psalm here. And notice that this blessedness is tied in directly with what follows in the psalm, namely repentance from sin and the turn to God. And there's a threefold action I see here in this psalm. The first action here when we talk about asking for forgiveness of sins is acknowledgement. Well, we say, well, God knows we're sorry, right? So if God knows we're sorry, do we actually even need to acknowledge that we've done something wrong? Well, yeah, we do. Because when we don't acknowledge things that we've done, because we're fallen humans, we tend to hide it, right? So this goes all the way back to the story in the garden when Adam and Eve, when they, they disobey God, they eat the fruit, they listen to the, the, to the serpent, and they disobey. What's the first thing that they do? They hide. It's not like God didn't know that they were hiding underneath the shrubbery, right? Or the whatever topiary that Eve had made in the garden, whatever. They were hiding from God. And it's not like God couldn't find them. And God comes in the garden in the cool of the day, calling out to them, right? Giving them the opportunity to say, hey, we've messed up. There's no acknowledgement. And only when they are confronted by God do they confess what they've done. God had already known. But what God does is, in his goodness and his love and his grace, he covers them with animal skins, That's a picture for us. So acknowledgement. God knows anyway. He sees and he knows. And also, when when we acknowledge it, it takes away one of the barriers or one of the, the things that we as human beings tend to do when we do something wrong, and that's trying to justify it. 
And I think our culture has gotten very good at justifying the bad things that we do. Well, I did this because this person gave me a dirty look. Or I did this because they cut me off in traffic. Right? I don't know what it is about Florida, but I always see news stories every day. Man shot in Florida road rages incidents. So any Floridians listening to this on the podcast, I love you. But there's, we justify the actions, the evil things that we do, the sinful things that we do. We can, if you sit with it long enough, you can justify everything you've done. Like, and I'm sure every policeman here or everyone who knows a policeman can tell you a story that nobody has ever deserved to be arrested for anything because, hey, I didn't really do anything wrong. The other person pushed me to do it. They made me do it. It's easy to justify ourselves when we don't acknowledge our sin. So that's why this is very important when we sin is we need to acknowledge it. The second thing is we need then to confess it. Right. So why is this important? Here in verse 3 and 4 in the psalm, David wrote, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. So what does this sound like a picture of? I think this sounds like a picture of guilt and shame. When we keep silence, when we try to hide our sins from God and from one another, when we shunt them to the back burner, it has an emotional and spiritual effect on us. For some, it can turn us inward, and so we neglect what we need to take care of. For some, it can feel like an oppressive weight on the soul. And God made us this way, brothers and sisters. This is why we need confession. And Christian worship has always had a time of confession. And early in church history, it was they, people would confess to each other. Like, you would turn to your neighbor, you know? And, uh, and, and, like, you know, Mark would turn to Frank and say, this is what I've done. And then Frank would turn to Mark and say, this is what I've done. And then I would go over to Tom and say, Tom, this is what I've done. Forgive me. And then Tom would say to me, this is what I've done. Can you imagine if we still did it that way? Nobody would come to church anymore. Right? If we did it like that. This is why we need confession. Because confession then keeps us from holding the sins that we've done. It keeps them from holding them back. It keeps us from hiding them inside. And it keeps that weight of sin and guilt and shame from mounting. This is why James says in the epistle reading that we heard, Confess your sins one to another which is why we have this as part of our, our liturgy, is that, well, the Bible tells us to do this. And maybe the reason why so many people struggle with feelings of guilt and shame is because they've lost the importance of confession. There's many, many churches where there's no opportunity as part of the service to not even, I'm not saying that we have to do that, right? We have to go to each other. But there's even no corporate time where as a congregation, people turn to the Lord and ask together for forgiveness. And I think that that's had an effect. And in verse 5 and 6, it says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I will confess my transgressions. And the result of this acknowledgement and this confession is number three, forgiveness. This is the result. And look at the result from this psalm. David says, you forgave the iniquity of my sin, which then brings us back to the first two verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. When we acknowledge and confess, we are forgiven and we are blessed because our sin has been atoned for and iniquity has not been counted towards us. Regardless, where we, regardless when, we, when we state our belief in the forgiveness of sins, we're stating that Jesus has dealt with sin 
And when we sin, which is done willfully in spite of knowing better, our sin will not be counted against us when we acknowledge it before God and confess it before God, right? We also, brothers and sisters, have a responsibility to forgive one another sometimes, right? We prayed in the Lord's Prayer all the time. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some versions of the Lord's Prayer say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? So this action of giving and receiving a forgiveness between us and God also has to be done between each other. It's also best to do it because the royal, the, the, a point will come when it'll be too late. It says in the psalm, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. And I don't know if this is a, 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 a reference to the flood. Maybe. But think about all the time that Noah was building the ark, right? And I think scripture calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So Noah is saying, hey, the flood's coming, the flood's coming, the flood's coming, the flood's coming. He and his family are safe in the boats. Everybody else drowns in the floodwaters, right? There will be a time where the opportunity to ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness will come to an end. So the lesson here, brothers and sisters, is don't wait. <laughs> when we do this, when we acknowledge, when we confess, and we are forgiven, we are recipients of God's steadfast love. His mercies, like I said last week, the prophet Jeremiah and Lamentations, are new every morning. So now let's take a look through a little bit of a different lens and focus on sin as the disordering of all humanity and of all creation. So when we look at the story of the fall in Genesis, we need to remember this is not the only problem that Jesus' coming is dealing with, right? So you have the cycle of sin of Adam and Eve, right? It spirals out and it affects everything that happens, right? Which results then in the need of the flood. And then after the flood, the next big problem is the Tower of Babel and the scattering of nations. All of these are effects of how sin spirals outward, right? Collectively as a, as a species, but also individually, as, as an individual person. All of humanity, then, all of these events highlight that we have all been subject and enslaved by sin and death. The sin of our forebears, when we read the story of Adam and Eve, it's there to show us that it has made us impossible for us to not sin on our own efforts. And it's also, I, I hear this phrase a lot, and it's true, but you'll hear people say that, we've been, that we are all broken. And I think that that's, it's adequate description of what our problem is as, as a human race. But I'm, I don't think it's enough, right? Sin hasn't just broken us. Sin has disordered everything. There's truth to that statement, but the truth runs much deeper than mere breakage. Sin is like a virus that has infected every single one of us. And there's no treatment that we can invent that will cure it, right? In fact, all of the treatments that we might come up with to try to deal with sin usually wind up magnifying that sin and the power of sin over us and digging us deeper and deeper into its grasp. And, and actually the other day, uh, two days ago, a day ago, I heard someone say, and I can't remember the name, that when we talk about sin, we should probably, instead of talking about sin as an infraction, we should maybe talk about sin as an infection. And I was like, I really like that. And I call it a virus in my sermon. So those actually dovetail together. So I'm going to reference that. But I like this, that sin isn't just an infraction, that we've just done something wrong. But sin is something that has infected us. 
All of us, every single one of us, which is why then Paul can say in Romans 3, no one is righteous, quoting Psalm 14, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Excuse me. So when we read this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, in the perspective of what has been termed original sin, or maybe we should actually, maybe instead of original sin, maybe call it ancestral sin. We see that through Christ we have been made new. We have been saved from sin and death. The result is we have been blessed by God because not only is our sin covered then, it is forgiven and wiped away. That infection that we have, that virus that we have, that's been given to us just by the own fact of of us being human, is then we receive the treatment, right? To to push that metaphor a little bit, because I always like to talk about the church as a hospital. When you go to the hospital, sometimes you have to get get assessed, and sometimes your condition is not too bad, right? And sometimes your condition is severe, and so you have to give the appropriate medical response based on the condition of the person that's come in. But the point is, is that we have been blessed because that infection, our sin, isn't just covered over, it's forgiven and wiped away. There's a theologian priest named Father Patrick Henry Reardon. He said that this psalm is the prayer of those who, standing at the foot of the cross and forswearing all righteousness of their own, commit their lives and entrust their destinies entirely to God's forgiving mercy, richly and abundantly poured out in the saving sacrificial blood of his Son. Because, quoting St. Paul, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. This psalm, then, brothers and sisters, is a picture of what it means that we have been forgiven, not just from the sins that we commit after we become Christians, but from the sin, the state of being sinful. If we are in Christ, our hearts have been made new by the Holy Spirit, and we can cry out that God is truly our Father because our hearts have been made new by the Holy Spirit. His love has been shed abroad in our hearts. God has justified us. He has made us his own. He has made us righteous. St. Paul again reminds us in Colossians in 1, 13 to 14, that the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, brothers and sisters, when we confess that we believe in the forgiveness of sins in the Apostles' Creed, we are saying that the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus has dealt with sin in that it has freed us from sin's power over us. We see this this over and over again in the scriptures, right? That sin is something that is a master over us, that it is a Lord over us, and Jesus comes and breaks that, and he redeems us for himself. Right, that that power of sin that we all have for the sake of being human, that has been broken over us, that God has forgiven us, that we have been made right before him, which then enables us to say no to ongoing sin. And also enables us also to, when we, when we do sin, to go to God in forgiveness and in repent, to ask for forgiveness and to repent, to acknowledge and to confess before him that which he already knows. And because our sin has been forgiven, 
We are freed from its wages, which is death. Because scripture reminds us the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so what we're going to do, brothers and sisters, is next week, we are going to talk about that. The, what it means, the resurrection of the body, when we confess that, right? The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has transferred us into his kingdom, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope to have you visit us in the near future.